Thank you, Steve, and my greetings to each and every one of you. Uh, happy 14th anniversary. Uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful milestone in the life of your church. I think I preached or shared at your sixth anniversary, which is like eight years ago. And uh, anniversaries are milestone events, and they're very precious. And um, two years ago, my wife and I took our family to Hawaii. I forgot to put a picture in. My wife is going to be upset with me after the service. She's sitting right there. She's with uh, Pastor Steve right now. So we took all 21 of us to Hawaii. Uh, we have three daughters and 13 grandkids. And it was a marvelous celebration. We called it Hawaii Five-O. And that was two years ago. So we've been married for 52 years. And the Lord has blessed us with a wonderful family, and we're very thankful for it. Um, welcome to all of you who also are viewing and worshiping with us from home. We pray that the Lord will bless you and the Holy Spirit's presence would be very, very evident in your lives there uh, at home. Now, let me share a word, an unsolicited word about your pastors. All right, first thing I want to say about your pastors is that they can all play golf better than me. But you already knew that, huh? All right. Also, uh, it's really rare for pastors to be in one church for 14 years. The average stay of a pastor in a church is around four years. So they're like 10 years beyond that. And the reason why they're 10 years beyond that is because I know personally how much they love you, how much they love Jesus, how much they love the Word of God, and how much they love serving God. I've had opportunities to meet with them on retreats for like nine years. And uh, we share, and they share about Crossway, and it blesses me so very much how much they love each and every one of you. Now, again, this is unsolicited. They didn't know I was going to say this, but I'd like to mention that because it really blesses me to fellowship with them because they have a heart for the Lord and a heart for each one of you. Now, initially, I was going to share a passage just or a message just based on, um, on verse 31. And then at the end of last week, the Lord brought conviction to my heart that I really should be speaking about the whole context of the, of the, of the verses preceding, not after, but preceding verse 31 of chapter 12. And what the Lord laid on my heart was that there'll be people who are gathered here, either here in person or at home, who are undergoing right now stress and anxiety. So take a moment. Do you feel like you're undergoing stress and some measure of anxiety in your life right now, regardless of what area of your life it may be found in? So this message hopefully will bless your heart because seeking the kingdom of God has an incredible benefit. It's an antidote for anxiety. It's a weapon against... See, I, uh, I'm old. I use paper. Right, so my notes are on paper. Steve and all the other guys use devices. So I didn't realize that we're going to be outside this morning and things are going to get windblown, but we'll see. Thank you, Steve. Now, so this, two, in 2000, I forgot where I was, so I'm going to be just start on page two. All right. You started in 2007. All right. Now, in 2007, you know what happened? One thing. Apple, computer company, announces the release of the very first iPhone in the year 2007. So if you have an iPhone, 14 years in the making. 
NASA launched the Phoenix Mars lander during August of 2007, which successfully landed and accomplished its mission, and right after the mission was accomplished, it died. Three, the movie Born Ultimatum was released. My wife and I like the Born series. She always hides her eyes doing some of the portions of it, but she likes the Born series. And the fourth thing in 20, 2007 was the birth of Crosswhite. Now, of the four, which do you suppose is the most important? The birth of Crossway. Why? Because the other three are temporal. Crossway is the one of the four that deals with things eternal. Therefore, of the four things that happened that I mentioned in 2007, Crossway really was the most important of the four because you deal with the eternal. So is there any area in your life right, where you're feeling um, worried? Right. When the stock markets crashed many, many years ago, there were two stock, uh, stockbrokers talking with each other. One said, man, I'm worried sick. The other said, I'm not worried at all. I've hired a professional worrier. I pay him to do all my worrying for me so that I don't have anything to worry about. How much do those guys cost? The guy said, $100,000 per year. He said, where are you going to get that kind of money? He said, I don't know. That's his worry. Did you get it? <laughs> Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could get somebody to, to hire, to worry for us? But you know something? As believers and as followers of Christ, we really don't have to worry. Years ago, um, USC played Notre Dame, and they were playing against the great Newt Rockney, who was the coach. USC was better. I went to UCLA, by the way, but UCLA, USC was better that year. So what Rockney, Rockney knew that. So what he did was he looked for 100, 100 men that were 300 pounds and heavier. And he put them into uniforms and he had them stand on the sidelines with no intention of playing them. USC, when they took the field, took a look at them, saw all those big guys there, and started to worry. And they were, they were stressed and had anxiety about playing them. And as a result, they lost the game, even though those guys didn't play. Anxiety and worry can be extremely harmful and detrimental. So let me talk a little bit about worry. Well, I lost two pages of my notes. <laughs> I guess I got to go to a device. Let, let me backtrack a little bit, okay? Is that okay with you? When I was a kid growing up, there was a, a magazine that was produced called Mad Magazine. Any of you know what Mad Magazine is? And you know who's on the cover of all the magazines? It's Alfred E. Newman. What was his phrase, catchphrase? What me worry? Right. That should be our catchphrase. What we, me worry as believers in Christ. Now let me begin with five thoughts about worry. Here's five thoughts about worry. Thought number one, worry is not reasonable. Worry is not reasonable. Luke 12, 23 to 24 says this, For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? You see, worry is unreasonable 
Because all you got to do is look around and see how God takes care of his creation. He even takes care of ravens. Now, the one who heard this back when Jesus said that would have been puzzled because ravens were unclean animals. And so they would be thinking, well, why would you use ravens as an illustration? They're unclean. Why would God take care of them? But that was the point. If God takes care of unclean ravens, how much more is he going to take care of you and the rest of his creation? Worry over material world is irrational because the temporal world is not as important as the eternal world. When I was in junior high school, I would get my math assignment, and at night there would be a question I couldn't answer, and I would just be so anxious about it. I'd call up my friends, and sometimes I didn't even understand what they were telling me in terms of the answer. And I was stressed. In fact, I was a basket case through high school because of studies. I was so anxious, and I didn't know Jesus Christ at the time. Worry is just its so worrisome. Research has shown that 40% of all worries are about the future, and they never happen. Think about that. The things you worry about in the future, how often do they really happen? 30% of all worries are about the past, and they can't be changed. 12% are needless worries about our health. 10% are petty worries not worth worrying about. And 8% are legitimate concerns. Now, there's two conclusions you can draw from this. To worry about something you cannot change is useless. To worry about something you can't change is pointless. Just change it. So why worry? Secondly, worry is not natural. Verse 24 and 27, consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom or barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than birds? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, not even Solomon in his, all his glory clothed himself like one of these. Did you know God never intended creation to worry? We weren't created to be anxious. But quite to the contrary, we were not supposed to be worried. When was worried introduced into creation? When Adam and Eve sinned. And when sin entered into the picture, we began to become anxious and worried. See, the ravens who are unclean, they don't worry. The lilies don't worry. Two examples on two extremes. And think about it. They don't worry. Why? Because they weren't created to worry. And they don't have the mechanisms by which they can worry. Worry is the result of sin. So worry isn't reasonable. It's not natural. Third reason, worry is not helpful. Verses 25 and 26. And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you cannot do even a very little thing, why do you worry about the other matters? See, Jesus is saying here, look, if you worry and you're anxious, it doesn't increase your life. There's no practical value in it. It doesn't help you. In fact, worry can also be very harmful, as I shared before. And I have a friend who's a pastor, or they call him shepherds, in Haifa, Israel. He's actually Japanese-American, third generation like me. He's now an Israeli citizen. And so he was there when uh, Iraq sent the Scud missiles into Israel, and they actually shot it from across the water from Haifa into Israel. 
and they uh, they they discovered that that the death rate rose on the first day of the scud attacks, and then after a few days it dropped. Why? Well, because the scud missiles were uh, were not only inaccurate but ineffective. Nobody died from a scud missile, but hundreds of people died from anxiety and worry. They were worried about the scud missiles, and so they had heart attacks and they died. And then once after the first or second day, when they when they saw how ineffective the scud missiles were, all of a sudden the death rate returned to normal. Worry can be harmful. So worry is not reasonable. It's not natural. It's not helpful. Worry is also not necessary. Look at verse 28. But if God so clothes the grass in the field, which is alive today, and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, you men of little faith? See, worry isn't necessary because God takes care of our needs. And if God's going to take care of our needs, why should we worry? Philippians 4.19 says this, And my God shall, rich, shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Not according to our riches, but according to his riches. So worry is not reasonable. It's not natural. It's not helpful. It's not necessary. Thirdly, or fourthly, fifthly, worry is not for God's children. Look at verses 29 to 30. And do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink. And do not keep worrying. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek. But your father knows that you need these things. See, verse 30 says, The nations of the world eagerly seek these things and they are anxious about it. But you have a father who supplies your need. You see, Christians have a Father who provides. The rest of the world does not. You know, when I was a little kid, as long as my dad was around, I kind of knew my needs would be met. Disneyland opened in 1955. I was eight years old at the time. You know, my dad had a chance to buy into Disneyland. He, I mean, I remember this conversation. He and his best buddy, a guy came to him and said, there's an opportunity to own a little, uh, they wanted a little Japanese uh, gift shop in Disneyland. And so we can buy, you can buy into Disneyland, and it was $20,000. I remember the number. This is back in 1953 or so, right? And they thought it was never going to make it. So they didn't invest. I could have been, no, never mind. <laughs> that wasn't God's plan for me. Anyway, so we got to go in 1955 when it opened. And it wasn't super busy because the only thing people knew about Disney back then was the Mickey Mouse Club, which was on TV. So people weren't sure this was going to make it. And so back then, you got in with an admission ticket in a little booklet, and then they had tickets in the booklet, A, B, C, D, and E. And E was for the primo rides like Autopia. And so, but they only had like two e-tickets, I think. And I have one of those books in my safety deposit box, all right? And because um, we never used it. Now, I think we used the outside, but we didn't use the tickets for, on that day for some, for some reason. And, but I knew that as long as I was with my dad, I could always get another e-ticket because he would provide. So I was never anxious about riding all the rides I wanted to ride at Disneyland. And we were a wealthy family but he would splurge whenever we went to Disneyland. 
because I had a father who provides. You have a father who provides. What are you anxious about right now? What raises your level of anxiety? Do you know you have a father in heaven who's going to provide in that area based on his timing and his good pleasure? You have a father who cares for you. Now let's take a look at God's antidote for worry. And this is where you find your theme verse. First of all, an antidote for worry. Rearrange your priorities. We need to rearrange our priorities. Look at verse 23. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. See, we normally worry about the material world, not about eternal things. And eternal things are so much more important than the temporal. You know, UCLA beating USC at football this year really isn't that important. I think we're going to beat them, though. So, so, I'm, not, so I'm not anxious. I'm really am not anxious about it. I'm going to purchase my last car within the next year and a half. I have a 12-year-old van. I'm waiting for it to die. And then I'm going to buy what I believe will be my last van. I love vans. We can take, man, we can take like seven grandkids with us or six grandkids with us. Right? But I'm not worried about it. You know, like my, uh, my, one of my grandchildren said, well, what kind of car are you going to get, grand, uh, Grandpa? I said, I don't know. I'm going to get a van. But God will provide. I'm not worried about it. It's a material thing. And I shouldn't be worried about it. So I do hope UCLA beats SC this year. But I'm not going to be anxious about that. I'd rather devote my and concentrate my energies on spending time with family. And as you get older, spending time with family becomes so much more valuable. Remember that for your grandparents or your children's grandparents. Make sure you give them adequate access to their grandchildren. Because right? that's really important to grandparents. And by the way, if they spoil them, it's okay. Let them spoil them. Just give them three rules, whatever those three rules are. Tell grandma, grandpa, can you follow these three rules regarding our, our, our kids? Other than that, have a good time with them. You'll bless them. So rearrange your priorities. Where are your priorities right now? Your anxiety could be directly tied to the fact that your priorities are, are misaligned. Secondly, believe God loves you. We need to believe God loves us. Look at verse 24. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom or barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? See, the verse says that we are more valuable to God than the rest of creation. Now, I love our 13 grandkids. As a result, they are the most precious people in our lives. We value them above all else. I have a t-shirt that I wear that says, my favorite people call me grandpa. I'm going to have to buy another one because it's kind of tattered now. Arthur Mike uh, Iaconelli shared this. He said that he was at an airport and he missed his connection to get back home. And he was frustrated. He was anxious about the next flight that he could possibly catch. He was stressed. And he was he just, it was a bad day. How many of you have ever missed an air, airplane? Isn't that terrible? You're sitting there, sometimes you have to sit in the airport for like 10, 12 hours waiting for the next flight. So he was anxious about that. So he decided to call his son. He called his son and said, I'm stuck in there. He started venting 
I'm stuck at the airport. I can't get home. And you know what his son said? Well, Dad, if you didn't go travel so much, this wouldn't happen. That didn't help. He said, so he said, let me talk to my grandson. So he put his two-year-old, the two-year-old grandson got put on the phone, landline, right? Started talking. And you know how a two-year-old talks? They kind of mumble. And you know how a 60-year-old hears? We can't hear as well. So that frustrated him because he couldn't really understand what his grandson was saying. Then, then to make matters worse, to, to increase his anxiety and his frustration and his stress, the grandson just dropped the phone. Two-year-olds do that, right? Just dangling there. And then he hears them playing. And now he is really angry and stressed out. And then all of a sudden he hears, I love you, Grandpa. And Mike said at that moment, all the stress and all the anxiety of that airport left him because his grandchild loved him. How much more does God the Father love you? He loves you. And if you dwell in that understanding, God loves me, then we will discover that anxiety and stress does not impact us as much as it did before. When we hear God's small voice saying to us, I love you, it's an antidote to anxiety. We are valued by God. How do we know that? Well, John 3.16 tells us that God so loved the world that he what? He gave his only begotten son to die for us, to die for us. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. No question, God loves us. And when we know the Father loves us as much as he does, that should really help us in terms of relieving us of anxiety and stress. When little children know they are loved by their parents, they're nowhere near as stressed and anxious as those who do not. So we should rearrange our priorities, believe God loves us, and then thirdly, put God first. Put God first. Look at verse 31. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Right? Seek the kingdom, and these things will be added unto you. This is your theme verse, right? So we're going to spend some time on that. All right. Seeking his kingdom. Now look at Luke verse 31. Luke says, instead. The word could be translated rather. It's a conjunction. And it refers to that which is before this particular verse. Now, based on the word instead, we know something about anxiety. We have a choice. Did you know you had a choice when it comes to being anxious? We actually choose to be anxious because we have a choice. Philippians 4, 6 says this, be anxious for nothing. What does that verse tell us? We have a choice. Anxiety or, and stress is a choice. Uh, recently, my wife started watching Korean dramas because our daughters and granddaughters are watching it. So she watched a, a Korean drama entitled Crash Landing on You. Now, just for my satisfaction, how many of you have seen that one? All right, mostly the ladies in our group, right? So she watched it all the way through to episode 16, hour and 10 to hour and 40 minutes long. I didn't realize that. I thought they were 40 minutes long. So she said, I want to watch it again. I want to watch it with you. <laughs> I'm thinking, 
no, you don't. I, I resisted. I gave every excuse that I possibly could muster up in not watching this particular Korean drama. Finally, I relented and watched it. Right. But this was my preference based upon Luke 12:31 and its wording. Rain wanted us to watch a K-drama. Instead, I wanted us to watch a football game. I had a choice. I watched the Korean drama. By the way, the last eight episodes are pretty good. But it took to episode eight before I started really enjoying it. Now she wants to watch another one. So I can't remember the name of it, but that name didn't make sense either. All right. Oh, by, and by the way, a BB.Q chicken place opened up around the block from us. And it's got all the posters of Crash Landing on you on it. So now not only do I need to watch another one, but I'm reminded of the first one every time I will go by that particular restaurant. And the chicken, fried chicken is pretty good. But they don't sell the cheese balls there, which is what I really wanted to try. All right. I digress. All right. Look at verse 31 again. It says... Instead, seek. Seek. Now, what does the word seek mean? It means to orientate oneself to or to pursue. Seek also means to search, quest of, to look for. One of the musicals my wife and I saw, went to go see when we were in college and dating, was Man of La Mancha. The Man of, how many of you have seen Man of La Mancha? Anybody? Oh, yeah, it's kind of a passe musical. But it's about Don Quixote. And Don Quixote had this quest. He was on a quest. He was on a quest to live a chivalrous life of virtue and value to the extreme. And it was his journey. And again, he was fighting windmills and the, all kinds of silly things. But he was on a quest. And he poured his entire being into the quest. He was seeking something, seeking virtue and value in life. We are supposed to be like Don Quixote. We are supposed to seek it with all our might. And that's what this particular word means. Seek. Are we seeking God's kingdom? Because that's an antidote for anxiety. If we seek God's kingdom. Let's continue in verse 31. But seek his kingdom. The Bible says, well, what are we supposed to seek? His kingdom. This is cog versus co. Cog versus co. Is it on the screen? Sounds kind of uh, Lord of the Ringish, huh? Cog versus Ghost. The kingdom of God versus the kingdom of earth. And that's the battle that goes on in and around us. One of the first things we have to answer is, what's the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven? Every seminarian has to deal with this. There is no difference. It's like the difference between a house and your home. House and home. Basically the same things with some nuances. So what is the kingdom? The kingdom is not a geographical location. It is dominion and rule. The kingdom of God is about eternal things, not temporal. Let's talk about Disneyland again. Did you know there are lifetime passes to Disneyland? They're called gold or golden passes. Here's one that I saw and found on the Internet. Now, I knew about this some time ago because I was at Disneyland on a Friday night, and I was with my grandkids. And we were right next to that place where they do dancing and stuff, like carnation area. And there were some really elderly people there, all dressed up in gear, in garb that, that kind of was from the 20s. And what I discovered was 
on Friday nights, at least at that juncture, they had big band night. And they had a band there, and they played big band music from the 20s and 30s. And back in the 50s, when Disneyland opened, they had big band night. And these young adults came, and they danced, and they really did such a remarkable job that Disney invited them back week after week after week to dance when the big band played. And that, he liked them so much that he gave them lifetime passes, which became gold passes or golden passes. All right. There's a huge quantitative and qualitative difference between a gold pass and your annual pass or now the magic key. Those two are for like one year. The golden pass is for your lifetime, and they give you six people that can enter with you, or six total entering with you. See, whenever we do things in the name of Jesus, we are doing something eternal. And that actually is an antidote for anxiety. At least that's what the Bible says. Matthew 10, 42 says this, And whoever in the name of, the, of a disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. Now the phrase that's important is, he will not lose his reward. You give a cup of water in the name of Jesus, you don't lose your reward. In high school, I got a bunch of awards. I don't know where any of them are. I have lost them all. But when you give a cup of water, when you do service in the name of the king, you never lose your reward. Why? Because that cup of water has eternal value if in the name of Jesus you give it. Why does it have eternal value? Because the king is eternal, but also people are eternal. Do you realize when you do a kind deed to somebody in the name of Jesus, you have a reward, and that reward you will never lose. Why? Because it's eternal. Because the person you, you serve is eternal. There are two things that last forever, God and people. And so as your church serves people, you're gaining rewards in heaven. So where is the kingdom of God? Where do you find it? It's wherever the king rules. It's wherever the king rules. Does Jesus rule in your heart? Because if he does, the kingdom of God is actually in you. Then finally, and these things will be added to you, the Bible says. These things will be added to you. Verse 31 says, but seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Now, I'm going to switch over to Matthew chapter 6, which also is Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And this is how this particular verse reads in Matthew 6.33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to, uh, to you. Addition of two words, first and all. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom, and then all these things will be added to you. Now, the word first has to do with priority. It's not numerical order. Suppose you're stranded on a desert, on, in the desert. Your car breaks down in the middle of the desert, and you have to walk for miles. What's going to be your number one priority? It's going to be water. You can't survive without water. Before too long, that will be your priority, to make sure you have water or to find water. So when Jesus says, seek first, he's saying, it's the number one priority in your life, to seek the kingdom. First things should always come first. Let me teach you a principle. Priority determines capacity. Priority determines capacity. If we seek the kingdom of God as the first thing, then it says all things will be given to us. Seek him first, and then all things, which has to do with capacity, will be given to us.
Now, I coached girls basketball and volleyball off and on for almost 40 years at the high school and junior high levels. And I'd give devotionals before every practice. And one of the first devotionals I would give to the team is based on Matthew 6.33 or Luke 12.31. You seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will come to us. Seek first his kingdom and everything else comes. Priority determines capacity. So my final year of coaching, by the way, I have a five-year-old granddaughter. When she gets to junior high, I'll be in my 80s, so I don't think I'm going to coach her. At least I told her that. Well, in my final year of coaching, my grandchildren at the intermediate level, I coached girls volleyball, girls basketball, and boys basketball because my grandson was there. We won three championships, right? And I thought, you know, I devoted that year to seeking God and trying to introduce Jesus to all the kids who didn't know Jesus. And we really, I really worked hard on that. I said, this final year, I want to give it my all in terms of seeking God first and his kingdom and the basketball and volleyball take care of itself. And we won all three championships because priority determines capacity. I served at Evergreen for two decades, and then we hived the church. We split it in half, basically, and we planted a church. And I became the pastor that went with the church plant with about 300 people. So we met at Rio Hondo Community College for 10 years, right? and we had offices in El Monte, so much like what you're doing. And um, so we were looking for land. We actually bought a piece of land and had to sell it because it didn't work out. This is a 10-year process, right? And then um, I made up my mind very early on. I've been in two building programs, two per land purchases and two building programs. And what I learned was you've got to seek God's kingdom first, and then everything else gets added to you. So I had to make sure that our church family was all about worshiping God, doing his will, and serving people. Loving God, loving others, and making a difference in this world. And then on the side, look for property. All right, it took 10 years. And someday, I told Steve, I'd like to come back and share that story. Someday. Because you're looking for property, right? Right. And you can be very anxious about that. Like, where in the world can this church family find a home? To us, it was, and oh, by the way, God gave us a geographical location to look at the junction of two freeways. And at the junction of two freeways, half the land was city of, in, city of industry, and they don't allow churches in. And eliminated half the potential properties that were available. We looked at every parcel of land within a five-mile radius of the junction of those two freeways. Every piece of land. We made offers in places that weren't for sale, right? We, uh, we made an offer at Golfland, which was five acres. They said, we are never going to sell. Today, there are condos there. They sold, but they, they didn't sell to us. At the 11th hour, because the community college was, was going to do a remodel, and so the room that we were meeting in was going to be demolished, and they said, we have no other room for you. By the way, we're on a one-year lease that they said, you have to be gone in two. We stayed there for 10. But right in the 10th year when they were going to start a building program there and we had to move, God opened up a piece of property. And that piece of property was $20 million. 
that's no small, this is a 2007, when, when there was a, the economy went kaboom. So we began a building program, and we had to, by the way, we had to raise the money. We had a one-month escrow because of the circumstances. So we had to raise money, and we had, actually what we had to raise was uh, $80,000 a month in uh, mortgage payments. Right. So talk about anxiety. Actually, I wasn't anxious. Why? Because all that time, we had been seeking God first. And even during the negotiations, we didn't stop ministry. We actually planted a church that year. When it, when common, when, um, when it would be wiser maybe not to plant a church because you lose resources, we actually planted a church because we're supposed to seek God's kingdom first. And everything else gets added to you. Well, we went through a, a, a quick building fund uh, campaign. And we needed $80,000 a month to pay the mortgage, as well as do a ministry with the rest of the tithe that the people were giving. And the Lord blessed the giving, and we raised $150,000 a month. That absolutely shocked me. But priority determines capacity. And I really believe with all my heart that our priority during that time was, was to do the, do the bidding of the king. You know, do ministry. Seek the kingdom first. And then the property and the money will be added unto us. And it was. And with the overage, we were able to do all the repairs that were needed on the piece of property. By the way, it was a 17-acre piece of land. Steve's been to it. God provided us richly in an area. By the way, we, we actually tried to buy that property earlier, and they said no sale. And, but it's a long story. It's a miraculous story. But God provided. Why? Because we sought him first. And so I can honestly say during that season, I was never anxious. Why? Because seeking God's kingdom first, then all the other things will be added unto you. And I've tried to live my life that way. We've tried to live our life that way. Seek God first, and everything else gets added unto you. One last thought. I want to add another last thought. This is the final last thought, by the way. Live one day at a time. That's another antidote. Matthew 6.34 says, Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. When you worry about tomorrow's problems, you miss the blessings of today. And you cannot solve tomorrow's problems with today's resources. So why worry about it? God has made life to be lived one day at a time. You still plan, you still prepare, you still pray about the future, you, but you live one day at a time. See, Jesus would say, don't open your umbrella until it rains. And one day I uh, attended a funeral and our granddaughter was with us. And just as we entered into the sanctuary, it started to sprinkle. And I began, I, began, I was the 10, I wasn't a fish creator. I began worrying about what are we going to do when we got, get out of here if it's raining really hard. So I, from 7.30 to 9, I worried about that. Instead of seeking the kingdom and being attentive at the funeral service. Soon the service was over, we got outside. You know what? You know what happened? It didn't rain. But what if it did? My granddaughter would love getting wet. Sometimes the things we worry about today causes us to miss the blessings of, of, of today. Are you anxious about something? Take a moment and think about it. Staff, are you anxious about property search? Take a moment and think about it. What are you anxious and stressed out about right now in your life? 
know this. Worry is not reasonable. It's not natural. It's not helpful. It's not necessary. And it's not for God's children. We should rearrange our priorities, believe that God loves us, put God first, and seek his kingdom first and foremost. Because priority determines capacity. The capacity for Crossway is unlimited because we worship a God who has unlimited resources. You as a believer have a Father in heaven with unlimited resources. And the Bible says he supplies our needs from his riches, not ours. So we're going to close with a word of prayer. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to pray for you individually. Now, I know that's impossible in one respect. But if you have a, a, an area of stress and anxiety in your life today, I'd like to pray for you. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so very much for today and for this 14th anniversary celebration. And I believe, Father, that what you want to accomplish today is to begin a process of removing stress and anxiety from each person, whether they be here or at home, in the, from their lives. Lord, I also believe that you want this church family not to be anxious about property or, or where they're going to be uh, in the future. So Lord, ask in Jesus' name that right now your Holy Spirit will come upon each person. And Father, I pray that the ministry of your Holy Spirit will be full and made complete in their lives. Father, may they seek you first and foremost. May they seek the kingdom. And may the kingdom be in their hearts because, Jesus, you sit on the throne of their heart and you rule as king. Father, if that hasn't happened yet, then I pray that it will happen. In fact, if you've never asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior and Lord, I'd like to invite you to do that this morning wherever you are, whether here or at home. It's really the first step to take in order to deal with anxiety and stress from this life. So repeat this prayer after me. Make it your own and the Lord will honor it. You're going to ask Jesus to become your Savior and Lord today. Here's the prayer to repeat. Dear Jesus, I believe you are God's son. That you died on a cross, cross and rose from the grave. I am a sinner. Forgive me of my, the sins that you died for. And I ask you into my life as my Savior and Lord. Let me close off that prayer with an amen. And with all heads bowed and eyes closed, here as we gather outside, if anybody prayed that prayer with me, would you please raise your hand and raise it high? so that I can see it. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Be sure to tell somebody of your confession or recommitment to Jesus. Father God, I thank you for cross, uh, Crossway, Lord. and I thank you for how much you have blessed this church over 14 years. I pray you continue to bless this church family. Father, I pray you provide a place for them to call home. Lord, I pray you continue to bless Pastor Steve and and all those who serve here. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that this church, Crossway, will always be a blessing unto you. Thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.